Don't make fun of my voice. I have to listen to it all the time. You don't have to remind us. Nag, nag, nag. That's why you're always in a bad mood because you have to listen to your own voice. <laughs> That's mean. <laughs> Cut real deep there. Cut my deep. <laughs> Here, let me get that for you. <laughs> everybody this is daniel oh and this is daniel <laughs> and this is carla we are hoosier homicide a true crime podcast by hoosiers for hoosiers or for anyone that doesn't know what a hoosier is thank you for coming are your legs okay it's been a long time long time i seriously haven't done this in a while no we haven't because we've been on break and other things other things just life you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we're watching <laughs> blippy not a big fan of Blippy, but I didn't know why. You know what, though? I tell you what. I'm not a big fan of, of Blippy, but I got mad respect for Blippy. Okay. Do Blippy you, now, sounds- after. Okay, I sent you the picture of him. He's the guy. He's got a YouTube channel. Makes a fuck ton of money by just playing at kids' spaces. like something like the Children's Museum. He just plays with the toys, and it's like. Blippy sounds like. Like. Like a tiny poop or something. Yeah, I took like a blip. I just went and took, took a, a blippy. <laughs> but it works. But it works because you know, so we're looking at him and we're we're, <laughs> we're pissed off because of how much money he probably fucking makes. And we're like, I was like, well, how much money does this guy make? And our daughter's watching it, like enjoying whatever it is. I don't know if he was at a playscape or something in Las Vegas, Nevada. Oh, we love Vegas. Yeah, that's where he was. And he wears his big glasses and funny hat. And it's like, I'm sure all those people that are children entertainers are normal people on the side like just regular people he's not he's not is he an adult yes very oh, much an adult i don't remember but it's like i understand you need constructive direction for adults pretending to be like kids so kids will be interested it's fine it's fine but daniel was looking him up and he goes <gasps> he goes wait a minute wait a minute i was like what he goes he's the same guy as as this guy and i'm like what are you talking about what's the rest of his name I don't... <laughs> so he he performed under another name before this okay. he figured oh, out what he was doing time. before wasn't working yeah <laughs> so he was in this video that once called the harlem shake poop oh right yep <laughs> yep she told me and i was I like not it, following yeah, yeah because it was like it's this dude i this motherfucker yes yeah but <sighs> in the video He's, you know, do you remember the Harlem Shake? They, you do the video, they're doing one dance, and then all of a sudden it turns into like some sort of like techno music, shake. and everyone's <laughs> like dressed differently. Well, in this one, he's standing on a toilet and he poos on his friend. His friend, both are naked. One is yes. wearing a bicycle helmet, helmet and sunglasses. That's and sun- Blippy. That's Blippy. And the other guy is standing on a toilet with his friend like half upside down under him. No, naked, no. waiting for. No, to him to make rain. Wait a second. Wait and a second. They this is one of my. Video. This is one of my favorite pastimes. Daniel said in a young, in his younger a version of Daniel in high school would go around showing people this video <laughs> just to get their reaction. <laughs> Do the uh-huh. Harlem Shake. 
Oh, yeah. Taking inspiration from such children's educators as Mr. Rogers. He's not a Mr. Rogers. No, you're not. He's Mr. Not. Rogers would have never done that. Stevie Grossman is his other character. He's disgusting. He's gross. Do you see the poop come out of his butt hole? Oh, yeah. <laughs> no. Yep. No! That's fucking disgusting. Children educator. <laughs> it didn't come out solid. No, like how would you know? I mean, I could know if it wasn't going to be solid, but how did he know? He ate white some castle. Pe- some people just, you know, there's a lot of people that they know what yeah. does it to them. Stephen John. For you? No, I mean, think about it. If we were going to shoot that, okay, if we know. wanted to shoot that, I'd I say, hey, know. Danielle, do you want a Cobb salad with ranch from Chick-fil-A? Too much bacon. The Lord's salad. The Lord's salad gives me sh- the shits bad. It and then, cleansed you. But we had Starbucks this morning. We were both shitting at the same time. He goes, oh, I'm pooping too. <laughs> he texted me and I was like, Lord help us. Oh, yeah. I said, yep. Like, like, the, like, the, smiley, like the smiley face with the rosy <laughs> cheeks. Like, I, we're pooping at the same time. I was like, I, I wasn't sure if you were going to be able to hear it or not, but it's like I really wanted to go. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> I had somebody at work, okay? So I was at work in the back um, when I worked back there. That's a lot of works. Um, back doing my business. Mm-hmm. And one of the techs walks in and sits down in the stall next to me and goes, dun, 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 dun. <laughs> <laughs> and I had that exact same reaction. Like, this kid gets it. Okay, yeah. Stephen John is his real name. And in 2013, he was Stevie Grossman. I hate him. And he, under aliases that he developed, such as Turd Boy and Underwear Man. Oh, wait, wait. How does he explain Turd Boy, though? You know, I think poop is as funny as the next guy, but... Um, That can't be it for you, you know? Yeah. In 2013, the video, The Harlem Shake on a Toilet... Defecated on his naked friend. Yes, yes. That was but weird. what is it? Turd Boy was conceived from anal sex. I thought no, that was in mm, there where it, somewhere. No. Mm-mm. Yeah. So basically, the only thing that made him funny was poop and butt. Yeah, but he realized he wasn't making money. So how do we you make know, money? The Children. toddler would think he was really funny. I, yeah. <laughs> she, and that's butt. her favorite joke. Yeah. Is poopy. <laughs> poopy. Yeah, she funny. says it a lot. Yeah, she Which does. It's pretty funny. <laughs> and then we were sitting was in my room and you were. Uh, wrestling and with see, Boris. we're the parents, you know, a lot of people would go, you shouldn't let him say poopy. And we're like, we're just glad she's not saying shit. Oh. <laughs> and even when she says shit, we're like, don't say it. Yeah, not- don't say that. <laughs> you shoot. can't say that. Shoot, you can't say that. <laughs> God fucking damn it. And be like, why do you say God fucking damn it? And I'm like, they didn't. They didn't say it. <laughs> no, but then we were in my room and you were getting ready to go to physical therapy and you were wrestling on the ground with Boris. And you stood up and to be like, I'm done. I'm standing up off the ground from you. And Boris didn't know what to do. So he sat down, made direct eye contact with Daniel and started to drag his ass across the <gasps> carpet. <laughs> he maintained eye contact. <laughs> for a little while, I was like, what is going on? Okay. We, were having a, we were having a stare off. <laughs> Start the story. Okay. Thank you all for coming. Welcome back. Welcome back. It's been lots of fun, my friends. This kids is from wikipedia murderpedia radford university department of psychology which had spelling errors in it and if i can notice it's bad 
<laughs> Truth. An encyclopedia of modern serial killers, abcnews.com and bbc.com. Got it? Uh, Got it. Have you ever heard of Keith Hunter Jesperson? He has the worst name ever. Well, it's a serial killer, so we have to use all three of his names. Okay. And Daniel has a speaking role, and so do you, but yours is at the end. Daniel, yours is peppered throughout. Okay, got it. tell me when to pay attention. I will. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Keith Hunter Jesperson was born on April 6, 1955 to Les and Gladys Jesperson in Chilliwack, British Columbia, Canada. A. Have you been to Chilliwack? Do you know where that is? Um, No. I know where British Columbia is. Okay. Is it by Vancouver? That's one of my hobbies. (laughs) To look at where things are. Chilliwack. Chilliwack. That is one of my hobbies at work, okay? (laughs) Yeah. Sometimes that's how we learned about Pitcher, Oklahoma, is because <gasps> I just was snooping around. Yeah, and then we've talked about it on a Patreon, the toxic wasteland of Pitcher, Oklahoma. Yeah. Everyone should go listen to that. Give me a dollar. Go listen. <laughs> <laughs> he was the middle child with two brothers and two sisters. Well, there's the problem right there. <laughs> his father was a domineering alcoholic that looked down on women and tormented his own children, most of all Keith. Uh, his mother denied being an abusive parent. However, much of the alleg- alleged abuse was confirmed by other family members. So he had really shitty parents, and his dad was a shitty alcoholic that didn't like him in particular very much. In his younger years, Keith was given less attention than his siblings and treated differently by the rest of his family. After moving to Sela, okay, the ink is low on my printer, and it's words that I don't know very often. Sela, Washington, S E L A. Yeah, they have uh, weird names. Yeah. City, city names. You categorize under words I don't know very well. Yeah, city names are weird. The weird delivering a load into Tukwila. <laughs> you did what Tukwila. in Tukwila? Tukwila. Yeah, so they moved to Washington, and he had trouble fitting in and making friends because of his love. No, we're going to Washington. <laughs> What's that from? Beavis and Butthead okay. to America. <laughs> I haven't seen that in a long no, time. He's talking to this little old lady. I can't understand what he's saying. She's, he's trying to say, no, we're going to Washington. And we're going to score. <laughs> okay. So he was made fun of because of his large size. His brothers did not help him instead, but they nicknamed him Igor. It's Igor. Pronounce Igor. I, I know that's what you're going into. <laughs> Do you also say Frodrick? No, it's Frederick. I'm actually proud that that's how you did that. <laughs> Frederick Frankenstein. Okay. Is it pronounced Frederick Frankenstein? <laughs> no, it's Frederick. <laughs> I had to find that now. Okay. Dr. Frankenstein. Frankenstein. You're putting me on. No, it's pronounced Frankenstein. Do you also say Froderick? No, Frederick. Well, why isn't it Froderick Frankenstein? It isn't, it's Frederick Frankenstein. I see. You must be Igor. No, it's pronounced Igor. But they told me it was Igor. Well, they were wrong then, weren't they? Uh, you were sent by Herr Falkstein, weren't you? Yes. My grandfather used to work for your grandfather. (laughs) How nice. Of course, the rates have gone up. Of course. Of course. I'm sure we'll get along splendidly. Oh, sorry. I, uh, you know, I don't mean to embarrass you, but I'm a rather brilliant surgeon. 
Perhaps I could help you with that hump. What hump? Let's go. So he was a big dude. And because of this, he was a shy child, content to play by himself much of the time. He would often get in trouble for behaving badly, sometimes violently, and would be severely punished by his father, including beatings and sometimes with a belt in front of people. So I'm punishing you physically and shaming you at the same time, which is almost just as bad. That's a good idea. And for you to know, like watch me beat my kid. It's our favorite pastime. It's free. <laughs> so Was he big like tall or big like a fatty? Just big bulk. Just oh, a big okay. guy. I'll well, that's him- very kind of you. So- <laughs> He might have been a little chubby as a kid, but he was a big kid. I don't know. I just like... Fat shaming there, Carla? No, no. I didn't understand. A lot of kids grow out of it. Body shamer. A lot of kids grow out of it. And in one case, he received an electric shock from his father while in a greenhouse. His father claimed... Well, who hasn't, you know? (laughs) He said it was only 12 volts, and Keith (laughs) says it was 220 volts. I don't know what volt comes out of your socket or what can kill you. How many volts is in a lightning strike? I don't know. The world may never know. At least five. (laughs) At least five. There's at (laughs) least five. (laughs) You're not wrong. Mm -mm. Okay. So he was treated like an outcast by his own family and teased by other children for his large size at a young age. A lonely child who showed a propensity for torturing animals. That's not oh, it's a big sign. It's That's bad. I'm not going to. So now the question that comes down to the question, can they be made? Oh, yeah. Nature versus nurture. Yeah. See, well, this one you can't, it's, you're already off the bat that he has to be made in some fashion because his parents were shitty parents. You know, because you have to, you, you know, regardless of what he did, you have to at least acknowledge the fact that. Yeah. So that's why I'm. Job, yeah. But not everybody that. Every, a lot of people have alcoholic have, parents you know, and shitty siblings and they don't kill people. So right. it's like. So I'm not going to list off the animal abuse. He did not like cats in particular. I am going to well, mention. Well, I don't either. Maybe you should read that. No. <laughs> I had to listen to it. I don't like it. Um, yeah. Speaking I of which, chicken, did you? I want liver. Wait, did meow. you guys watch the? No, I won't watch that. Okay, I I'm scared to watch it. No, too. I think someone said I had to turn it off in the first three minutes. And Do you know what we're talking about? Yes, Don't. I saw it, and I. You know what I decided, Carla? Huh. I'm not even going to talk to your sister about it. Okay, I said, it's it's "Don't fuck with on. cats." Don't fuck with cats. Yeah. yeah. No, instead, I started watching How to Get Away with Murder. You're welcome. Which I'm late to the boat because you know. I mean, I am too. We both do. obviously. I like it. Human downfall is so, much more palatable than so much easier to watch. That's you why know. I can't go into full detail. I will mention this one part because I don't understand how he did it. So there is me mentioning animal abuse for the next twenty seconds, including nailing crows to a board and then throwing knives at them. How did he catch crows, then nail them to a board, and then like I understand how you throw a knife at something, but to catch birds with large beaks and to like nail them to like that just sounds like a lot of trouble. And it wouldn't that work sounds that like well. a question for Dwight Schrute. <laughs> <laughs> he enjoyed watching animals kill each other as well. This continued as he got older and was something for which he claimed his father was proud of him for. So, yeah, he didn't like my dad reinforces this. This is a positive, again, free activity. I don't think they had a lot of money. His dad also gave him a BB gun that he used to shoot a neighbor in the dick. <laughs> <laughs> Did he deserve it? So he has, I don't know. So he has a sense of humor. Okay. Yep. And then he, an overweight neighbor was bending over to pick raspberries and he shot that guy in the ass. I'm assuming he was a guy. Could have been a woman. I don't know. Do men pick raspberries? It's a gender neutral activity, I'm sure, right? Yes, it okay. is. Uh, so it's like BB guns. Kids do get a hold of those and shoot things they shouldn't with those things. I wouldn't say that's definitely a characteristic of a serial killer. No. 
I tried to kill that bird with dad's really old BB gun at our old house. It wouldn't stop shitting on my car. We're trying to sell the house. No, this age. (laughs) Me age. Adult age. (laughs) What? Dad has a BB gun? (laughs) He did. I did have a BB gun. Oh, the ones. Oh, because we had this insane Robin, female Robin, that the same time of year, every year she would build a nest somewhere and then proceed to shit all over our cars because she could see herself in the reflection all over the house, all over the cars. And we're trying to sell this house. Well, we butt up kind of a wooded area. So I wasn't just loosing pellets out into the streets and i was trying to shoot her when she was on the back privacy fence i was like you mother <laughs> i'm not gonna be <laughs> i forgot about that. i was pregnant too I literally I was like, i'm not gonna be able to sell this house and it's gonna be all your fault oh i wasn't there that's no, why yeah. i don't remember yeah <laughs> this one deranged Probably. female robin was gonna keep me from getting my new property <laughs> <laughs> oh god i didn't hit her i think she's fine i haven't talked to the new owners though so <laughs> Maybe she's not me. so fine. <laughs> my new picky. <laughs> you my new picky. <laughs> you knew when keeping me from my new house. Okay, his first murder attempt happened when he was 10 years old. He was friends with a boy named Martin. And the two would often get into trouble together. Keith claimed he was... <laughs> I'm in danger. <laughs> <laughs> That's from The Simpsons. <laughs> yeah. This is... <laughs> I'm in danger. He's in a butt slap. <laughs> yeah. I love that that, picture. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Um, (laughs) He claimed he was punished many times for things that Martin had done and blamed on him, resulting in him getting belted, quote unquote, by his dad, probably in front of people. And this led Keith to attack Martin, violently beating him until his father pulled him away. So he had an emotional outburst. I can't fault him entirely for that, but I've never tried to kill anyone, I don't think. He later claimed his intention was to kill the boy. Tried to burn our house down once. Listen, and Facebook, and we were talking about it on a Patreon episode, and I was like, "Yeah." And Facebook is kind enough to remind me of the time I filled a pot with fire. And then it was like two days later, Facebook reminded me of the time I filled a pot with fire. It makes you sound cooler than you are. (laughs) No, it's not. It wasn't cool. (laughs) Fucking Facebook. Approximately one year later, Keith was swimming in a lake when another boy held him underwater until he blacked out. Sometime later at a public pool, Keith attempted to drown the boy by holding his head underwater until the lifeguard pulled him away. He said that he had every intention of drowning the boy. So also, this is a delayed response. Like, you did something to me, and I'm going to hold on to it with, like, deep-seated hatred and control my outburst until the opportune moment when we're back in water together instead of just attacking you at random. That's just called self-control. Okay, that too. I don't have a lot of it. (laughs) You don't say. Yep. In seventh grade, Keith was introduced to the thrills of shoplifting by a friend, something I never got into. Too much anxiety. He also (laughs) found out that he was being charged room and board before his father. (laughs) Room and board. Okay. One instance was the other siblings were not charged room and board. And another reference was he was just charged a lot more for a lot longer than the other siblings. Like to teach you the value of a dollar. Yeah. He's like, uh, like under, you know, 10 to 14 age, like. Where is he getting the money from? Unless uh, he's shoplifting and stealing stuff to sell, to make money. I accidentally shoplifted a plastic Buddha. Plastic from Hobby Buddha? Lobby. <laughs> That's real bad. That's a religious figure. I know. <laughs> <laughs> it was an accident, but now he sits on my desk at work. And you think about it every time. <laughs> yes. I've accidentally stolen something that, like, when she had her car seat that fit in the str- in the car and it, like, rolled down the side next to it and mm-hmm. I didn't see it until I got it. I was like, fuck it. It was, like, elf brand makeup. It's not worth it. I did, though, was at Hobby Lobby, and a woman and her husband stood in line for five minutes to return an item that was worth how much money? Let's take guesses. 59 cents. A dollar fifty. <laughs> a $1.50 New Year's Eve decoration item they had to return to Hobby Lobby. And I was like, get out of my way. 
Sometimes I order stuff online and I don't like it and I still don't return it. <laughs> yeah. It's like, this could give me 10 bucks or I could forget about it. Yeah. Oh, God. Okay. So we'd been charged room and board and I, to teach them the value of the dollar. And I said, you just should play Monopoly and beat your kids every time. But our daughter beats us at Junior Monopoly. So there we are. <laughs> I mean, you know, in all fairness, we give her a little bit of extra oomph. Mm, but she's four. We should be, when do we start charging our room and board now? Never. <laughs> Never. <laughs> you come home anytime you want. They all do. Yep, they do. Okay. It, and when I first read this line, I thought that the instance occurred to him, but I think he was the perpetrator of a rape when he was 14. <gasps> I thought when I first had typed it and read it, I was like, and he was raped. And I was like, I listened to true crime all the time. And they were like, he was the assault, assaulter, not the assaultee. There you go. Saltines. He was a saltine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, burn him. Yep. Now that I know that. Yep. He also displayed a fascination for with fire in pots, pipe bombs, and cannons. Keith was also teased about not being able to reach the top rope that he had to climb for wrestling practice. So old school gyms, like, you know, the scene from all the movies where the kids are trying to climb the high rope. I never had to do that. No, they got this is why we didn't have to do it. Let me finish. <laughs> So one day he did get to the top of the rope, and the, but the root pulled loose from the brackets <gasps> and he fell 25 feet onto the hardwood floor head first. But he was, so you could say. So he had brain damage. Yeah, but you could say, oh, he started to act weird after he hit his head. No, no, no. He was already fucking weird before he hit his head. This probably made it that worse. That just sealed the deal. Yeah. But there is a lot of instances where serial killers have brain trauma in adolescence of some sort. But this, he was already torturing animals and shooting people and setting things on fire before Maybe this. he wouldn't have killed someone if he hadn't have. Bumped his head. Bumped his head. In the night. Humpty Dumpty. Was that bumped his head? No. No. Never mind. Okay. He graduated from high school in 19... 19- Humpty Dumpty had, had a great, great fall. fall. Well, I Humpty was Dumpty was a fucking Jack egg, fell- I think. <laughs> Jack fell down and broke his crown. And Jill came. That's- These are horrible nurses. They're horrible. Jack and Jill went up a hill. But they fell back the fuck down. <laughs> Jack burned out on booze, booze and, and pills. pills. And Mary had a <laughs> little, little lamb. lamb. Mary, just don't give, give a, a damn. damn no more. <laughs> Amen. Anyways. <laughs> you guys are just too cool. <laughs> I'm really glad I get to hang out with that you. That was Casey Musgrave lyric. Okay. Okay. Our daughter likes her a lot. We listened. She was singing Space High Cowboy. Horse. She was going, giddy up, giddy up. <laughs> was like, she was singing Space Cowboy yeah. when we were in Disney World. Mm-hmm. She likes her. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> He graduated from high school in 1973 with the rank of 161 in a class of 174. So he's not stupid. I don't even know where I fell. In the middle? Somewhere? Wasn't last, wasn't first. Good enough for me. (laughs) You know what they say, though. If you ain't first, you're You're last. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But he did not attend college because his father did not believe he could do it. So his dad was like, you're not smart enough to go to college. And he probably only had to say that one time for him to, to believe it. Be like, you're right. If my parents don't think I'm smart enough, how will I ever be smart enough for real college? So he didn't go, even though he's probably plenty smart enough to go. Although he was not successful with girls in high school, having never attended a school dance or his prom, he did enter into a relationship after high school. In 1975, when Keith was 20, he married Rose Hux. Huck, H-U-C-K. I don't know if the E on the end is silent or not. Hucky? Hucky, Huck. He was working in Wenatchee. The first time I met Keith, I didn't think much of him. He looked ordinary to me. He was just a nice man. And then he finally asked me if I would like to go out with him. And I kind of hemmed and hawed, and my girlfriend says, I'll go out with him. One right here, and you got another one. Right oh, that's a break, too? Yeah. You won't tip over on it. I'm afraid it's going to tip over 
1975, nine months after they meet, mom and dad get married. My wedding day was really, really special. However, I found out years later that while I was in the chapel, he was around in the back kissing the bridesmaid. I think Keith had the thought that he would please his father by marrying me. But for now, from the outside at least, our family was just like any other. <laughs> Melissa was the first child. He absolutely adored this child. Let's see your new boots. Holy smokes, you new boots? Isn't that nice? These are called moon boots. I would put her in his arms, and he would hold her for a little bit, but he would hand her right back to me. And I think he did that because he was afraid he was going to break her. When I'm a year old, my brother Jason is born. Hi. Three years after that, my sister Carrie comes along. The three of us would go with my dad um, out into the woods. Camping was a big thing for our family. He would take us on four-wheelers or three-wheelers, and he would let me sit in front of him. And sometimes I got a steer, which was really great. Ride a motorcycle. I believe we were the average American family. My dad was a good provider, and my mom was a stay-at-home mom. The couple had three children, two daughters and one son. Keith worked as a truck driver to support the family. What do you know about truck drivers? Uh, beep, beep. Beep, beep. Coming uh, through. Todd. <laughs> they breaker, want, breaker, one nine. <laughs> <laughs> they want to know where they're picking up their loads. They talk to you, don't they? Um, it's much more than that, ma'am. <laughs> they want to know where they're picking up their loads. Okay, <laughs> where it is? How much? They does it call weigh? me. They're in a certain city. I have the load. They need paid. I have the money. You have to allocate money to Ford to get to places. Isn't that like gas? They want money for gas up front. Nope. I mean, sometimes you can do rate per mile, but okay. I don't do math. <laughs> You're like, wait, wait, wait a minute. There's no math in there. They call, they're like, I need 250 per mile. And I'm like, I need you to shut the fuck up. <laughs> I tell and you give what me I a need. whole number, please. <laughs> a whole number. <laughs> okay. So he's a truck driver, and I think it affords him to be able to support his family pretty well. But he is. um Yeah, they make yeah, good money. He, it's just long hours. Yeah, he's gone a lot, long hours. And it's like, so he's away from his family. So it's his wife and three kids that he's away from a fair amount. But they, I think she gets to be a stay-at-home mom then because he's gone. So that works. It's a hard life, but you can make a lot of money. And I think people, it. some people are just like really well suited for it. Like they really like it. If you like driving, you don't mind. Yeah. He's a truck driver. That's important. Yeah. My dad was a long haul truck driver. When he was gone for long stretches, I missed him. I remember knowing my dad was arriving before we even saw him because you could feel the vibration from the semi truck coming down the small neighborhood road. I remember even hearing the windows rattle. He'd always come with gifts from his travels. I felt secure and safe with him home. And then there's this other side of him that I don't really know. There's something seething below the surface with my dad. It was uncertain and unstable. It was like almost when he was there, like this black cloud came over him. 
first time that I saw my dad torture an animal was around the age of six. After that, I knew I couldn't trust my dad anymore. He wasn't the man we thought he was. So several years later, Rose began to suspect Keith was having affairs when strange women started calling and saying, hey, is Keith there? And she'd be like, who's this? Well, this is his girlfriend. Funny, because I'm his wife. <laughs> it's like, oh, oh. Oh, yeah, I think I have the wrong number. number. <laughs> <laughs> so I think they were married for quite some time, though. I don't know, it was like 15, uh, 14 years they were married, and he wasn't exactly normal all the time, kind of, but nothing, he was never hitting anyone or being abusive in an outright fashion so it was kind of like he was just my dad but sometimes dads just aren't the worst or the greatest it's just a regular guy his faults you know here and there but not all the time Mm -hmm. and then he was just gone a lot um after yeah 14 years of marriage while he was on the road rose packed up her and her children's belongings and drove 200 miles away to live with her parents in spokane washington the oldest child melissa was 10 years old at the time. Keith continued to spend time with his children when he was in town and the couple divorced in 1990. So he still wanted to be a part of his kids' lives too, but he was still gone a lot. But when he, every few months or every month, he would stop by and wanted to see them. He wanted to be married because like it creates a semblance of normalcy and he was using that, I think. But after the divorce happened, he wasn't, he didn't, he could do whatever he wanted all of a sudden. So it do be like that. Mm-hmm. At the age of 35, standing six feet tall, seven and a half inches, and weighing 240 pounds. He's a Damn. big dude. So his daughter described that he was always larger than life and a good dad for the most part, really, and just a big guy. Um, he wanted to work for the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. The Mounties. That's he what he wanted, wanted to be. He wanted to be a Mountie. Yeah, but he injured himself while training and that ended that dream. So I think he had a grudge against the world for that, too. Uh, he then sought work again as an interstate truck driver before, after relocating to Cheyenne, Washington. He soon realized that this job offered him the opportunity to kill without being suspected. Because you can be in a different state like that. And no one even knew in, in the 90s. Like it wasn't as GPS monitored as you could with truck drivers today. Um, oh, well, nowadays the... Um yeah, the logs are electronic. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's changed the industry quite a bit. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. You know where you are and what you're doing. It was when I first started in the in the business, the electronic log, like, it was coming. Oh. And, like, we were, like, telling our customers, like, it's coming, it's coming. And they Stop just were killing just, like, people. throwing it's coming. money at us. Like, and now everything has changed and it's really hard. <laughs> it's not fun. <laughs> not fun anymore? And for two weeks, the total amount of money we made was $1,500. And I will get three, 2% and it's $30. It's $30? <laughs> I can't wait for my $30. <laughs> I'm going to have to go return everything in my house that I have. I need to return even the dollar fifty stuff. <laughs> Don't uh, mind me. Just going to go on a shopping spree with my $30. <laughs> His first known victim was Tanya Bennett on January 23rd, 1990, near Portland, Oregon. He introduced himself to Tanya, who was classified as slow, but very trusting and very nice. So it was like, oh, you're just a little like it's hard enough for women to perceive when someone is a bad guy without, you know, it's hard to read people. But if you're a little slow and a little trusting, then it's even harder. Early Monday, a passerby reported finding the body of an unidentified woman sprawled in the woods. Authorities are asking the public to help identify... The body was discovered in 1990 in the Columbia Gorge. And it was discovered in a, what's known as the Scenic Highway, just east of Portland, Oregon. 
it took several days to determine who she was. She had no identification on her person or around her person. The most significant thing that was unusual was the fact that the fly had been cut out of her jeans. I was watching the news. They were holding up her clothes. And I thought, oh no, that cannot be. My sister's clothes. How am I going to wake up my mom to tell her this, that her daughter's dead? She was a beautiful young woman just starting her life. Tanya was my baby sister. I had to watch over her. I had to take care of her. I knew she was a little off when we were younger, but I didn't look at her that way. She's very friendly, outgoing. She was the most loving person. You'll never forget meeting her. He met her at a bar and invited her to his house that he was renting and brought her home with the intention of having sex with her. And when she refused, he proceeded to beat her over 20 times to the point where she could no longer be recognized. It, this gets darker. I forgot to say that. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. This is I mean, the, I don't the, the, the term serial killer. Bloody pulp comes yeah. into play. Yeah, it was bad. And so... His excuse, no, he, what happened was he said, I want to take you out to dinner. Oh, I left my money at my house. Come with me back to my house. I'll get my wallet. Come inside. I can't find my wallet. Oh, you're in my house now with me and you can't leave. And he's so big. What's the full name? Keith Hunter Jesperson. Just stupid name. He's got a moniker, but I haven't got there yet. But you could look it up. Anyway, so, and then he says, I can put the audio in somewhere that, well, I hit her and then just kept hitting her. And then I realized she was going to go to the police. So I decided to kill her oh, instead. Because okay. at that point. What happened with the first murder? I picked up a woman at a bar. Took her home. We were drinking beer a lot that day. Took her home. I thought I was going to get lucky. Comments were made and different things. And, and uh, an altercation happened. And I struck her. I actually had hit her in the face. And for some reason, I just kept on hitting her in the face. And because of that... I feared going to prison for slugging her in the face and causing bodily injury, and so I killed her. You meant to kill her? Oh, yes, I did. I meant to kill her to cover up the assault. You say it very matter-of-factly, with no remorse or hint of remorse. Uh, It is matter-of-fact, that's what it is. I put the body up there in the Columbia River Gorge. Uh, I had tied a rope around its neck, mostly to... I didn't know how the body reacted when you started moving it. He established an alibi by going back out for some drinks, being sure to converse with others before returning to retrieve Tanya's body and belongings to dispose of them. He was back on the road the next day. The body was found a few days later by a student who was bicycling along Old Scenic Highway, but there were no suspects and no leads because he was gone. He was already gone. And if people are like, no, Keith, he's like, oh, that one trucker dude. Yeah, he was here, I think, the whole time because he was drinking with us. And it's like, the drunk people, it's hard to keep track of time. It's like, what, what drink were you on? Four beers? later <laughs> at least five at least a minimum of five <laughs> i can't help but think about a statement that my dad made when i was on this trip with him he said i know how to kill someone and get away with it i would cut off the button of her jeans so my fingerprints wouldn't be on it I would wear my cycling shoes because they don't have an imprint on the sole so that nobody could trace what kind of shoe I was wearing. 
I didn't know what to say in response to that. So I remember looking out the window. I remember feeling this is really strange. And I remember feeling trapped in the car. And I could only process that this must have been a story he overheard and he was just saying it in first person. Only later would I learn my father was describing precisely how he murdered Tanya Bennett. Detectives scored the bars and truck stops where Tanya was known to spend much of her time. Meanwhile, armchair detective, 57-year-old Laverne Pavlinak, read the news reports surrounding Tanya Bennett's death with great interest. She saw an opportunity to force an end to a long-term abusive relationship she had been in with her live-in boyfriend, 43-year-old John Savanaski. She had a habit of reporting her boyfriend to the police on phony charges every time they had a fight. Seems a bit dramatic. (laughs) Eight months before the murder, in the spring of 1989, she had telephoned the FBI to falsely accuse John of robbing banks. (laughs) she's like he did it there's cash everywhere and they get there like where's the cash he spent it (laughs) real quick like today (laughs) so when the fbi was like nah that's bullshit then she reported the same accusation to the local police isn't that like against the law yeah i think you can get in trouble for false reporting like i don't know she looked like a grandma she was she looked like you're an old overweight grandma and so in real life she's real into all this true crime today's age she would have made her drunk boyfriend start a podcast with her and <laughs> none of this would have happened. But Laverne set up meetings with investigator, investigating detectives and gave false confessions stating the information she had read in reports to give a detail to the story. So she's collecting as much information as she can to make it seem like, oh yeah, I was there. And how John forced her to help him rape, murder, and dispose of Tanya's body. Jen- John denied these accusations and claimed he was innocent. Laverne continued to make calls to local detectives stating that she had more information. Oh, I think she said, I found her purse in his trunk. Come look. I'm like, this isn't her purse. But it is a purse. It's a purse. <laughs> <laughs> so they're like, okay, man. I mean, if you're sure. She sounds like she'd be an excellent lawyer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so she, they kept asking her. And uh, on another occasion, the detectives took Laverne out to Columbia River Gorge to see if she could point out where the body was found. And she actually did a pretty good job of saying it was over here in this area. And they're like, yeah, it was. Good job. <laughs> She's like, see, I was telling the truth. Uh, she did very well and passed the test with regard to where Tanya's body had been dumped and she was unable to point out, the- but she didn't know where her like other personal belongings were. Laverne and John were both arrested on March 5th, 1990. There were problems with the story even so. Most critically, police had several witnesses who reported seeing Tanya Bennett at a bar in Gershom the night before she died, 25 miles from the restaurant where John Savanaski allegedly met her. Tanya had been playing pool and the witness said with two unidentified men, neither of them being this dude. Both were convicted of the murder on February 8th, 1991. Yeah. She was like, oh, I helped him too, though. Laverne was sentenced to no less than 10 years. Her fake bullshit got her 10 years in prison. Yeah, well, they were probably sick of it. Mm-hmm. Much more than she had anticipated for not <laughs> serving. Oh, was dang. Like, well, well, damn. I was coerced, <laughs> though, into rape and murder. Right? That's less. <laughs> that means less. <laughs> oh, man. So she... Then admitted she had been making it up. And they're like, yes, you with all the other convicts are making it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but John saw that she got 10 years and he could get the death penalty. So he took a plea, which is your only option. You don't have a great attorney. It's like, I can't prove that I didn't do it nowadays. So it's like, I have to take a plea. And uh, he got life in prison with the, the pro- 
with parole eligibility after 15 years. So she really fucked him good. It's like, good luck getting drunk in prison. Well, it's like, actually, well, they do make hooch, I think, or toilet. Don't like call it hooch, hooch, man. Hooch, I don't know what to call it. <laughs> <laughs> it's got a jungle. It's got a name. It does. That's, that's the, I think that's the. Yeah. Uh, Have you gone you know. to the episode on <laughs> how to get away with murder? Mm-mm. Okay. I'm well, still... her grandma does, or her mom shows up, and she calls it hooch. Okay. So I figured maybe you got it from there. I they they have different names for. That's prison. what I call you. That's what I say when you get here. I said, "Up, oh, the hooch is here." Oh, good. <laughs> they have different names for prison alcohol, but I feel like that was one of them. <laughs> Toilet margarita. There you go. Okay. okay. <laughs> Gross. Rubbing alcohol. They just need bread, which they get, and a fruit, which they get, and some like juice or water, and they leave it in a plastic bag, and it ferments, and then they drink it. People are weird. Yeah, man. but I'd be bored in prison. You'd probably get drunk. You'd be bored. I would turn into one of those jailbirds like, workout people. Oh yeah, I get so ripped. <laughs> jailbirds on Netflix is fucking crazy. I know. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, following Tanya Bennett's murder, as all the attention was going to Laverne and John, Keith wrote a confession on the bathroom wall of a truck stop in Livingston, Montana. It read, Daniel Prisley, number one. I killed Tanya Bennett, January 21st, 1990, in Portland, Oregon. I beat her to death, raped her, and loved it. I'm sick, but I enjoyed myself, too. Two people took the blame, and I'm free. A few days later, in a truck stop men's room in Umatilla, Oregon, a second message was found. Number two. I killed Tanya Bennett in Portland. Two people got the blame, so I killed Kill again. Both messages were signed with a happy face. The happy face killer! Oh my god! Ah! Sorry, that's the second time I've screamed tonight. (laughs) (laughs) Detectives in Portland theorized that some unknown friend of John wrote the graffiti in an effort to spring him from prison. Like, I didn't do it. There's graffiti in bathroom stall. It is kind of like, eh, it's not really hard evidence in the 90s to be like, someone wrote that they committed a murder on a bathroom stall. I was like, I'm sure that's written a lot of places. <laughs> so it didn't do any good. Things not to do. Got it. Got it. <laughs> There's Wait. all sorts of fun things wrote on the bathroom walls at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. See? Yes, yeah. And it's is. like, but it's like, but someone wrote that I was, that they committed the murder and I didn't. It's like, but it's really. It's just... I don't know. If, did you go to the bathroom in, um. Star Wars land. I did. Daniel? Yes. Didn't you think the yes. the troughs mm-hmm. looks like the, the bathrooms? Yes, the I, think I, I think I said that. Yeah, you I did. Like walked I walked out I was I like, this that. looks just like the Speedway. Did they get their idea from me? Supposedly, somebody said they wanted to get rid of those. I'm like, no. Oh, they're cool. They're cool. Yeah. Only we think that you they're gotta cool. You got to piss in the trough. They have those at Wrigley Field. At least they used to. They might have got rid of them. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, it's been a while since I've been. But how else are you going to get 300,000 people? To pee. Are you going to really put up that many urinals? I don't know. <laughs> the girls have to use toilets. Yep. <laughs> when that did not create the attention he desired, he wrote letters to media outlets and police departments confessing to his murder, starting with a six-page letter to the Oregonian in which he revealed the details of his killings. Please read number three, Daniel. Number three. This is the Zodiac speaking. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I feel bad, but I will not turn myself in. I am not stupid. In a lot of opinions, I should be killed, and I feel I deserve it. My responsibility is mine, and God will be my judge when I die. Yeah. That doesn't make it okay. Mm, doesn't. Mm-mm. I'm telling you this because I will be responsible for these critics and no one else. Crimes. Thanks, Lo. 
<laughs> I am telling you this because I will be responsible for these crimes and no one else. It all started when I wondered what it would be like to kill someone. Wait, pa- this was on a bathroom wall? No, no, no. He finally started to write okay. letters to the Oregonian. <laughs> it's like, this is the long message. <laughs> like, get out of there, man. Be like, I'm taking the deuce. <laughs> <laughs> Continue. Did you finish it? Yeah. Yep. No. Wouldn't. Oh, he signed each letter with a smiley face. This led Phil Stanford, the journalist working the story for the Oregonian, to dub Keith Jesperson the happy face killer. The letter closed with an ominous note. Please read number four. Real quick. It's one sentence. Look over your shoulder. <gasps> I'm closer than you think. Dun, dun, dun. Why would he do that? It's so creepy. He spent. He wrote a lot of letters to this dude. This is anonymous. Like It's just the happy face killer. It was a shame in retrospect that Keith was getting away with all these killings because we couldn't tie him to all these killings. Law enforcement, I had no way to know that they were in any way connected to each other. Until a mysterious letter makes a shocking claim. The newspaper in Portland received a letter which described the bodies or the location of five different victims over the you know previous years. The letters indicated that there was someone free who had killed Tanya Bennett and uh, that some other people had gone to prison for that killing. And on those letters, he didn't sign them, of course, but he drew a happy face. And hence, he is dubbed the happy face killer. The killer indicated that he was a long-haul truck driver, that he wasn't in the public eye, and that it was so easy to kill these people. And he traveled all over the country doing it. When I look at Keith's letters, I see four main themes. I see a need for attention, a low self-esteem, negative self-image. I see a profound lack of empathy, and I see isolation. I think these themes formed the psychological backdrop for his life. Authorities believe they already have Tanya Bennett's killers in prison and don't think the letters are credible. There was absolutely nothing to corroborate those sort of hearsay statements, so the letters did not change the course of events in terms of who was in prison, but it added an element of doubt about what's going on here. Two and a half years after his first kill when Keith killed again, on September 16, 1992, the currently unidentified body of a woman he raped and strangled was found near Blythe, California. He says that Jane Doe's name was Claudia. A month later, in Turlock, California, the body of 32-year-old Cynthia Lynn Rose was discovered along U.S. Highway 99. I think he said he fought with her over a parking space. I don't really know. Like, what? Oh, my. <laughs> oh, my. So I wouldn't have fought with him. you're saying just never go outside again. Yeah, basically. Okay. Her death was originally listed as a drug overdose. Keith claims she was a sex worker who entered his truck at a truck stop while he slept. Oh, it's called a lot lizard. Well, yeah. 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 Yeah, dude. (laughs) (laughs) He wrote letters to the Oregonian claiming that she was a prostitute that he picked up and murdered murdered signed with a happy face. Let's see. His fourth victim was another sex worker, 26-year-old Lauren... Lori Ann Pentland of Salem, Oregon. Her body was found in November of 1992. According to Keith, she attempted to double the fee she charged for sex he had been engaging with in her. She threatened to call the police, and he strangled her. See, 
this is that's something you just leave a bad Yelp review. Yeah. Like, they changed <laughs> the prices on me. Unexpectedly. I don't appreciate it. This is a bad way to do business. Would not do business with her again. We'll not. We'll be dipping my wick elsewhere. Wick, wick. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So we're like, this was all in Oregon? This or one. the areas? Well, we've got the California. Like communicating no. with each other. That's okay. even hard for them to do now. Like with Ted Bundy, like mm-hmm. he was, you know, just we don't really know how to talk to each other. Like yeah. jurisdiction lines. So no, no one had any, and they're the the lesser dead, quote unquote, like sex workers, drug addicts. Like if they die, not as many people care and the family won't even know that they're dead because they're transient. So it's like, I don't know if my wife or my daughter or whatever is dead or not because she's been doing her own thing for two mm-hmm. years. So people won't even know to report anything. Let's see. It was more than six months before the next victim was found in June of 1993. Another unidentified woman classified as a street person by a state highway control. Excuse me. Santa Nella, California. He claimed her name was Carla. What a stupid name. What a stupid Carla with a C. <laughs> or he's a, or it could have been Cindy. <laughs> Either one of the two. Uh more than more than one year later well, no, it could have been victoria uh, any of those <laughs> names more than a year later in september 1994 another jane doe was found in crestview florida along interstate 10 by a road crew she was approximately 40 years old at the time of her death and keith claims her name was suzanne by september 1994 my father keith jesperson has killed seven women but with the murder spread across the country authorities haven't connected the crimes and have no idea he's responsible for any of them. That fall, when I'm 15, Dad visits Spokane and invites me out to eat. I remember he was in a reflective mood. He said, you know, well, so not everything is what it seems to be. You know, there's some things I want to tell you, but you'll tell the police. And then he paused, and I just sat there and thought about it for a minute, like, what could he tell me? that I would go to the authorities, it didn't make sense. Like, I I couldn't even process it there at the booth. Like, I needed to get away. So I went to the ladies' restroom to try to gather my thoughts. When I arrived back to the table, my dad just dropped the conversation completely. I wondered if my life was spared that day because if he would have told me, if he would have said, Melissa, I've killed women, like what would I have done in that booth? I can't imagine leaving that scenario and not being killed. In January 1995, Keith agreed to give a young woman, 21-year-old Angela Surprise, a lift from Spokane, Washington to give her a ride to Fort Collins, Colorado to see her father. At one point along the way, they stopped so that she could call her dad Keith would later claim that her dad said, I don't want to see you. Don't come here. Afterwards, Angela changed her mind about going to Fort Collins and instead asked him to take her to Indiana. Really? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think her boyfriend. Yeah. <clears throat> Approximately a week into the trip, Angela became impatient and began to nag Keith to hurry up. She wanted to see her boyfriend and became enraged when Angela wouldn't let him sleep. So he stopped, <laughs> stopped at a truck stop just east of Cheyenne, Wyoming. She kept bitching, quote unquote, at him to keep driving in bad weather, and he ended up strangling her by placing his fist tightly against her throat. His hands were so nag, nag, nag. In what was she wearing? So he, his hands were so big he wouldn't even like. If I tried to strangle someone, I would have to use both hands. 
um, a full grown. Yeah, you do. <laughs> full grown male probably could just use an open hand like this. He like just, like holding a basketball mm-hmm. can't do that. No, still. <laughs> he would just close his fist. His fist was so big he could just choke you with just pushing your fist up against your throat like it was enough. And it was like, oh my god. Do you think his hands were bigger than this? Yep, a little bit. <laughs> So that's how he said it. he just put a full just put pressure on her throat. This part's dark. I'm sorry. Uh, afterwards, he went back to sleep. When he woke up about three hours later, he drove to Nebraska and pulled off into a rest area where he strapped her body to the undercarriage of his truck and dragged her face down to grind off her face in prints for about 10 to 12 miles. He then untied her and disposed of her remains in a ditch off Interstate 80. Angela's body was not found for several months later, and then only after Keith gave details to police. Like, now, and I'm assuming she was dead because he went back to sleep. And if he had only choked her until she passed out, she would have came, you know, she would have woken back up. So I think she was, I'm for sure she was dead when he tied her up under there. And then it was just like, I'm sure it probably did work. She was unidentifiable. I think. Why take the extra step? I don't know. Like, if he was just dumping them off the interstate, nobody's looking. I think he said she had a Tweety Bird tattoo on her ankle, and that's how they were able to identify her. And it was like, otherwise, no one even found her because no one's looking for her. And so he he picked the right area. At one point, they wondered if he was the Green River Killer because again, it was oh. sex workers, and it's like that were disappearing. We did that one. It's no, always we uh, did not do that one. It's always sex workers. That's yeah. Arthur Shawcross. He was a necrophile, though. Pretty sure. Don't, mm-hmm. Not today. Not today. Green River Killer. I remember, I read about. Yeah, that. it's or the. It's, he's got another name. That's when we. Oh. I was studying for the trivia. Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Jane Doe in Indiana, February. Likely name. <laughs> in February 1995. So he claims there was an. He eventually lists off a bunch of people he killed, and one example was also. I just wrote it down because it was Indiana in 1995. He said I killed another girl there. Woman. Sorry. Two months after murdering Angela, Keith decided that his longtime girlfriend, 41-year-old Julianne Winningham, was interested in him only for his money. Like, no, I know that feeling. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> I really thought that Julianne Winningham was a serious relationship for my dad. The way he talked about her was different than how he talked about his other girlfriends. She had the prettiest blue eyes. Like she, her eyes smiled. My mother liked to travel. She liked to see places. She was very social. She could pretty much talk to anybody. She was a free-spirited soul. I believe that was the way she wanted to live her life. My mother was drawn to the big men type and a lot of big men drive trucks. She seemed to have the same carefree love for life that my dad used to have. And I was hoping that she would bring that back in my dad. On March 16th, 1995, in uh, Washington... Oh, I can't read it. Oh, no. Somewhere in... I don't know. It's in Washington. Don't worry, folks. We're in Washington. (laughs) In March 16th, 1995, Washington, Keith strangled her and dumped her body over an embankment along State Highway 14. Unlike the others, Julie's friends and relatives knew that she had been seeing Keith and provided the first valuable link, his name, that would aid investigators in apprehending him. So he finally killed someone he knew. And they're like, wait a minute. She's dead, and she was dating that big fucker over there. And it's like, like I think I know what killed her. It's the boyfriend. It's like Always the boyfriend. Mm-hmm. So if he had never killed anyone he knew, he may not have gotten caught. Wow. 
the ultimate cause of death on Julie Winningham was manual strangulation. He had killed Julie Winningham by pressing his fist into her throat. I can't believe that she would be pleading probably through her beautiful eyes to my dad saying, please let me go. And he have no compassion. Like that truly is a monster. We're heading to the location where the body of Julie Winningham was discovered back in March of 1995. By sheer coincidence, somebody stopped here enjoying the view. As they looked down, they could see what they thought was a mannequin at the time. He beat, and he raped, and he suffocated, and he duct taped my mother and threw her off the side of the mountain. When I learned of my mom's death, I felt hurt, angry, lost in the ocean, in a boat, with no paddles or a compass on which direction to go. I felt like there was no life in me. I mean, I just collapsed. Just the idea of my dad tossing her like, like she's garbage, having no remorse or any feelings for her, leaving her in a location where she might never be found, it just gives an eerie sense of the lack of compassion he has for human life. I don't know that side of my dad. I remember him picking me up and, and playing with me. But to think that he was picking up and tossing a woman's body down here feels like it's not real. Like it's just a bad scene from a movie. And despite how it feels for me, I can't imagine what it feels like for the family of the victims. Keith Jesperson was arrested on March 30th, 1995 for the murder of Julie. He had been questioned by police a week before, but they had no grounds to arrest him after he refused to talk. In the days following, Keith decided that he was certainly going to be arrested. And after two suicide attempts, he turned himself in and hoped result in leniency during his sentencing. No, if you kill like eight people, it doesn't matter if you turn yourself in or not. No. There's not a leniency thing. Really? Mm-mm, I don't uh, think that so. That just doesn't seem right, you know? <laughs> but I... But I... Like, uh, I don't know what. You. Well, depending or not, if he gets if he got the death penalty, yeah, that becomes yeah, the that's only the leniency. Yeah, that's the only thing at the end. While in custody, he began revealing details of his killings and making claims of many others, most of which he later recanted. Also, a few days before his arrest, he wrote a letter to his brother. Please read number five. And when do I get to read at the end? Seems like my luck has run out. I will never be able to enjoy life on the outside again. I got into a bad situation and got caught up with emotion. Oh, yeah. That's mm-hmm. perfectly good. Oh, I understand that. Yeah. <laughs> I killed a woman in my truck during an argument. With all the evidence against me, it looks like I truly am a black sheep. Poor, me. poor, pitiful me. <laughs> the count will appoint... The court. Ah, damn. <laughs> the ink is low. <laughs> count Dracula will appoint this. Yes. Yes. The court will appoint me a lawyer and there will be a trial. I'm sure they will kill me for this. I am sorry that I turned out this way. I've been a killer for five years and killed eight people, assaulted more. I guess I haven't learned anything. Dad was worried about me because of what I have gone through in the divorce, finances, etc. I've been taking it out on different people as I saw it. I was hoping they would catch me. I took 48 sleeping pills last night. Holy balls. And I woke up well rested. 
<laughs> I mean, that's kind of funny. That's because of how big yeah, he was. how big yeah. he is. Yeah. The night before, I took two bottles of pills and to no avail. They will arrest me today. Yeah. Damn. In it, he confessed to having killed eight people over the course of five years. This led agencies in several states across the country to reopen old cases, many of which were found to be possible victims of Keith Jesperson. Although he had at one point claimed to have killed as many as 160 victims, only eight have been confirmed. So there could be more, but I don't know. He didn't confess anymore? No. Well, he confessed to 160, so you overwhelm. So I can't tell what you're lying about. Like, I think he made one up about, I killed a twin sex worker and another man killed the other one and we stumbled upon each other at night in the same dump spot and i had a piece of jewelry from one twin and he had a piece of jewelry from the other twin and we both had a beer together like it's just like who comes up with this shit <laughs> like off the top of your head um during his many letter writing campaign to reporters and writers with websites he ran the gamut of trying to present different sides to his personality in one letter he might write about his compassionate side in another he would refer to roadside victims as piles of garbage he will use the word it instead of her or person, like it's an it. Lovely. An attempt to place doubt that he was the killer, but had instead merely stumbled upon someone's old garbage, only to have been accused of murder unfairly. Like, I just stumbled on the body. Like, that's all that happened. It's like funny because you didn't report finding any bodies ever. Yet other letters he would write about offering a self-starter serial killer kit. Please read number six. Awesome. Yeah, we can, we're going to market this. Oh, this is bad. Well, Israel Keys would have bought it. Yeah, you're right. This is the offer you all have been dying for. The self-start serial killer kit. Now you can be the only serial killer on your block. Learn from a professional serial killer. Get rid of that unwanted family member. Get that job you always wanted by opening up the slot. Everyone will be dying to meet you. You get a full-life Julie Winningham look-alike doll with an extra tough spinning back... This is fucked up. Yeah, it is fucked up. An extra tough spring back neck. So you will soon have the strength to squeeze the shit out of anyone. Yeah, it's so bad. That's terrible. I really but he's like, like, yeah. thought you were making that up for No, a it's so dumb. And he lists, you know, and he uses his girlfriend's name probably because she's the one that got him caught, so he's the most mad at her. And... Yeah, he put that, I don't know if it was on a website. I think it was on a website that he, you know, people orchestrate with serial killers that are shitty human beings all the time. So it was like, here, and I don't think you could actually buy anything. Like, I don't know what it was. It was just a post, but he would write to reporters and stuff, but no reporter is putting that in the paper. <laughs> in October of 1995. He already has. <laughs> Keith <laughs> pled guilty to Julie's murder and entered a no contest plea for the murder of Tanya. He received life in prison for the murder of Angela and is serving three consecutive life sentences at the Oregon State Penitentiary in Salem. I thought maybe there's like limits to how far my dad could go and he broke every limit that I thought was there. You understand the consequences of entering a guilty plea? Yes, I do. You know you have a right to remain silent. 40-year-old Keith Jesperson came to court today in Clark County to get something off his chest. Keith Jesperson pled guilty to take the death penalty off the books. For this reason, and for my own personal reasons, and to accept responsibility for the death of Julianne Winningham, I am taking guilty. He never showed any emotion at all. No remorse. I stood toe-to-toe -to, -toe to him in court. She was my mom. Someone needed to be there. He deserves to fry because not only has he killed six others or seven or eight, how many has been, who knows? This thing just gets worse and worse as it goes on. I think it needs to be put a stop to. 
fry him and get it all over with. I wanted him to die, but now that I'm older, he'll go through more misery in the next 50 years that he's in prison. I don't believe he was wired wrong, born with a birth defect, none of that. He made a choice. He just liked to rush like somebody likes heroin. And unfortunately, my mom happened to be one of the rushes. On January 7, 1996, more than five years since his attorney offered his confession with convincing evidence of his guilt, he had given police officers the location of, vic- of a victim's purse. The purse had not been found. Okay, five years later, he's like, you know that couple, that old couple? They're still in prison and they didn't kill anyone. And it's like, oh, you're right. Oh, so he like you had to go through a lot of trouble to, pr- to prove that I did it. And that they didn't. So they he considered himself a really good person. It's hard person. to get people out of jail unless they're in there. Yeah. He considered himself very magnanimous to have helped these other people get out of prison who put themselves there. Some of those weirdos, like, they want credit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's why he started writing on bathroom stalls was because this if that woman hadn't intervened, they might have caught him sooner. She got in the way. Damn it. He gave police officers the locations of stuff only the real killer could have known. And in September 2009, he was identified for the... Uh, he was indicted for the murder of Riverside County, California, and was extradited to California to face the charges there. He was convicted of murder and received a fourth life sentence in January 2010. So his whole game was always not to get the death penalty. So and he went to the right state mm-hmm. for that. At one point, he was going to get called into Wyoming or Nebraska. And he killed the girl either in Wyoming and buried her in Nebraska or killed her in Nebraska. Buried, like, so he was trying to like... Finagle. Some serial killers want the death penalty. Like I want it now, but he was. Yeah, like, my fun is over. Let's. Do yeah, but this. how many of them have claimed they wanted it? And, and then, then they, like you know, Jody Ted Aries. Bundy. Yeah, Jody Aries, Ted Bundy. She's not a serial killer. But well, she, we always. Everyone always knew Jody Aries. Or J- Jody Aries was full of shit. Full yeah. of shit. Right up to the pooper. She did that too. <laughs> yeah. Um, bless her heart. Bless her. <laughs> That's a Patreon too. I put on a lot of audio. I was listening to porn in the middle of the day. With Jody Aries tapes, and I was like, I'm listening to porn. <laughs> and it didn't do it for her. Well, it's, it's a little fucked up. And your daughter came over and was like, Mommy, what are you doing? I was like, click, click, click. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was transcripts from their life. Because she recorded herself doing phone sex with him. That's what the audio is. Okay, anyways. Give me a dollar. Go listen to Patreon. Okay, so he confessed to a lot of things and eventually is in Salem. So in 2008... Keith's oldest daughter, Melissa Moore, published a book titled Shattered Silence, the Untold Stories of a Serial Killer's Daughter. Melissa lived with her father until her parents divorced in 1990. She would later receive a letter from her father in prison. One line read, hey, read number seven. I don't want the world to judge me as a dad. I was a great dad. My only mistake was my eight errors in judgment. Eight errors in judgment. The rapes were not errors. No, no, it was just the killing part. Just the killing uh, you read number one. Finally. Sorry. This is Melissa. You're speaking as the daughter's voice. What well, we've all been waiting for. Yep. One of the things about my dad, which made me very uncomfortable as a young woman, was that he was very explicit about his sexual relationships. For example. Oh, my. He sometimes went into graphic detail about what it had been like sleeping with my mother. No. Mm-mm. He would leer at women in public, make lewd remarks about them, and harass them. He was arrested for the murder of his girlfriend, Julie Winningham, but I was told nothing about what he had done. My mother made it clear that it was not a topic she was willing to discuss. 
The stifling atmosphere at home did not help me in the long term, but I now understand that she was trying to protect me. Throughout that summer of 1995, I sneaked, that ain't right, Mm -hmm. I snuck out to the library to read reports of my father's trial. It was during this trial that he confessed to the murders of a number of other women. So she was like 15 or something, like just entering high school, had kind of a crummy boyfriend, wasn't doing great. And like, and then this happened. It was like, she oh, you needed to know. I, mean, yeah, I, done I think the same her mom thing. only said one person and wouldn't tell her anything else, which mm-hmm. is like, it's the fall to default mode. It's like, I'm protecting you by not telling you. And she was like, so then she found out it was a bunch of women. I have another paragraph. Okay, go ahead. It was like there was another Keith Jesperson. I had caught glimpses of this other man, but I also remembered when my dad came home from long haul truck drives, he would be so doting and kind. He seemed like such a good dad at times. Then again, he had said some very strange things over the years. Please read number eight. You know, I drove past the Oregon State Penitentiary and I hawked my horn. I said, someday I'm going to be there, but not yet. <laughs> and you're like, why, dad? Why? Most people will say that no, I'm no, a no, monster. No, no, no. That's number nine. Hold on to that one. Oh, well, you did a terrible I, job. I know. I was trying to save paper. Anyways. <laughs> Read number Wow, two. way to save the environment, Greta. <laughs> Read number two. <laughs> I got started at... Stared. Is the ink is low? No, I just didn't read it right. Okay, <laughs> I was trying to give you an out. <laughs> I was going to say, I've been lying about it the whole time. <laughs> Damn ink. Okay. <laughs> I got stared at in high school when the news came out. Parents were really shaken up by the thought that their children might have been in harm's way. So they kept them away from me. And I began to feel tremendous guilt and shame. Somehow, I ended up feeling that I had to pay restitution for his crimes. I felt dirty. I felt less of a person. I felt isolated. I felt alone. That's sad. Yeah, it is sad. I used to think that I couldn't live in this world and be a part of it. I would always be a spectator watching normal people go about their lives. It's really She was living in her grandparents' basement. I think she had a cot with a sleeping bag and shoe boxes for drawers. Yeah. Like it was because they had to leave their whole lives and start over with I mean a, sometimes yeah. people do make bad decisions and then I, I get why they might feel mm-hmm. like that. But the mom was a stay at home mom and then decided to leave him in the middle of the night and then had to support her and three kids mm-hmm. and she had to move into her parents' basement. So it's like this sucks and you're entering high school. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was like a girl's dad in my high school like he set fire to his company to get insurance money and oh. it didn't go right and you're like and we know about it now. yeah and then everybody knew about it It was like kind of weird and then you're like as the kid like what are you supposed to do i don't know we try not to look at him but i gotta look at you yeah and it's weird but okay do you have one more um I no don't. i do sorry okay ashamed of what people would think melissa kept her father's horrible past a secret for years and spent most of her life hiding her identity when she was 21, she met her husband, Sam Moore, and right before their wedding, she revealed to him who her father was, but he didn't seem real concerned. It's like, is he here? It's like, well, no, he's in prison. I'm like, okay. Imagine if someone revealed that to you. You'd be like, no fucking shit. I'm like, give me your phone. Google this. Or you go, my dad is the happy face killer. And you go, who? Who? <laughs> <laughs> they had two y- children. You know, the happy face killer. Uh, never mind. I don't no. want to get married. Never mind. God, never mind. God, this God. was supposed to be. <sighs> <sighs> they had two children together. And read number three. I was also worried. I knew I wasn't capable of killing anybody. I knew I wasn't a sociopath. And yet, didn't I share my father's DNA? 
how does one become a serial killer? Could that evil be something that I was carrying around and that I could even pass on to my children? See, that's what I, that's where my brain would yeah. go. Yeah. That's, One day in May 2008, I watched my daughter excitedly jump up and down for a school bus, bursting with the question that she couldn't wait to ask me. That day in kindergarten, they had been learning about family units. And she had been told that everyone in the world has a mommy and a daddy. This was breaking news to her. Mommy, everyone has a daddy. Where's your daddy? I just froze. I thought, how do I explain this to her? She's so adorable. She's so sweet and precious. How do I tell her who her grandfather is? In the end, I said, oh, he lives in Salem. That was the first thing that popped into my head. And it's the truth. He's in prison there, serving consecutive life sentences. Damn. This was a watershed Damn. moment for her. Like, at this moment, she was like, I'm not hiding who I am anymore. Like, this was in her writing her book. She was like, I'm not doing this anymore, pretending that it didn't happen to me. I don't think that makes Mm-mm. it any easier. She cries a lot because yeah. she feels so guilty all the time. But, but uh, pretending it didn't happen can't, yeah. can't be the way. Melissa has become a kind of advocate for relatives of mass murder as people like herself who are searching for understanding and comfort from someone who has been through the same experiences. She estimates she has corresponded with more than 100 children of murderers, including the daughter of the BTK killer. Please read number five. They have been living in shame the same way I used to live in shame, thinking that you're somehow responsible for that family member's actions that you owe the world an apology. Despite her quest for closure, Melissa said she still can't seem to forgive her father for his crimes. Now read number six. Okay. I can give... I did it again. (laughs) It's hard, man. I can forgive my dad for being arrested. I can forgive him for not being there, not being the dad I wanted. I cannot forgive the crimes he committed. For years, I kidded myself. I knew he had done terrible things, but I still believe that he loved me and my siblings that he was capable of love and empathy. Then one day, while I was working on my book, I had a conversation with my grandfather. He told me, You know, I went to visit your dad in prison, and he said something that surprised me. He said that he had thoughts of killing you kids, like his own children. What? Now, Daniel, read number nine. Most people will say that I am, I am a monster. I am not a monster. Just like the movie Jurassic Park, I was created by people. So, what? Damn, way to take why fucking ownership of your that? actions. Yeah, so the grandfather was a shitty person, too. So he was like, oh, yeah, your dad thought about killing you. And she asked her mom about this. And there's a podcast, Happy Face, that she it's all about her. And she it's professionally done. And uh, people read some of the letters that he wrote to the... Oregonian and she and her she goes and meets the victims the children of her father's victims and it's very emotional and very intense and she just says how sorry she is and it's like but you didn't kill anyone like but that's so and at one point she's with her mom and her mom's like oh yeah I'm pretty sure your dad tried to kill both of us at least twice because they went camping and he cut up a bunch of fish on the front porch of their cabin there's fish fish guts everywhere and then he slept in the car and left her and the new new baby in the cabin. And she's like, all that was holding it shut was this thin little leather latch. And there were bears. She was like, I was just praying to God you didn't make any noise. Because she's like, all a bear would have to do is push into the door hard enough and it would pop open. And it's like, so it's got to look like an accident. And, another, and then I think there were two other instances of fires that she saved her baby from. Like, she was like, I looked up and you were sitting up in your crib. And I was like, how come I can see her so well? And well, there was a fire in the bathroom. How the fuck is there a fire in the bathroom? 
So she got her. So they were fine. But I think he did try to kill him a couple times. It was like, I'm kind of done with this whole dad life thing. And so once she said once she her grandfather told her that she was like, fuck this shit. Like, I'm done. Done feeling guilty about you and your garbage. But she it's like the murder in my family. I have audio of that. And then the happy face. I think it's called just happy face is a very good one. I've listened to that one twice. I think it was so good. And damn, that's it. I might See, have to listen to that. Yeah. yeah. Not so happy, happy faces. But I wanted to cover him before because it's like, this is weird. But it's the trucker ones. I think there's a lot of truck driver serial killers that you don't know about because it's so easy because you can abduct them in one place, murder them in another, and then dump them in a third. Yeah, I think it's easy to get hired because mm-hmm. there is a demand for truck drivers. Mm-hmm. And, and they make good money. They make good money and you're on your own. Boom. So, yeah, she's definitely, I haven't read her book, but she cares a lot. And she has a hard time because she looks a lot like her dad. Like, she has a strong jawline and stuff and doesn't look like her mom at all. So, every time she looks in the mirror, she sees her dad. And he writes her nasty letters, calling her just as a horrible human being as him. So, he writes her all these, and she's like, I don't read his letters anymore. But she opens a couple on the podcast and you're like, oh, God. She's like, this is why I don't read this shit. Because it's so upsetting. And they have, they did take her and she's okay this was the other part they're not married anymore the her and her husband got a divorce and it's very sad and she thinks that she hinders she's not feeling something emotionally she's worried she's like her dad she's like she goes and gets her brain looked at because there's a scientist that found out he was a sociopath on accident by scanning the brains of inmates and realized his brain got shuffled up in as a control like this is doing a science he's doing a science his brain was the control and they're like hey this got in with the sociopath and he's like that's mine and it's like i'm a sociopath and he is but not with the illegal tendencies like he only has the other parts of it so he is like come let me scan your brain and we'll prove to you that you're not a sociopath and she's not her brain's fine you know she's a normal person she's not so she thinks but see i wonder if you know you're a sociopath you know what stops him Can from being you? a shitty person? Yeah. It's it's uh, like, I think they described it as a three-prong approach. And you have to have all, and one is a criminal aspect to the other two. He explains it on that podcast. The doctor explains all of his personality that he does, that fa- that he falls into the categories. But, but he explains it, and he's like, we did a regular test with you, meaning she was just like, she was just laying. She wasn't being shown imagery. And he's like, so that's the next step. They probably show you some shit and see which part of your brain lights up and what doesn't. So, like, that's probably the next level that they could do. Hmm. But I forget what he explains that he's like, I have everything but the criminal aspect of it. And, but if he had had a shitty childhood, would he have then been a serial killer or something? So I think he had or a normal maybe upbringing. a traumatic injury mm-hmm. or... Yep. So I'll put... Everyone needs to go listen to that shit because it's good. Dang. It came out in 2018, I think. So it's all out. <sighs> and that's all I got. Man. <laughs> okay. Anything else? We have some new Patreon people. We'll thank you by name next time because this got started late and impromptu. And sup, host. Sup, <laughs> sup, <laughs> give me a dollar, bitches. <laughs> no, we appreciate all of you very much. And thank you. It helps us to be able to pay to do this. And without money, the world doesn't go around and around. Or so I'm told. It stops spinning if there's no money. Literally just stops. Just gets shitty, honestly. <laughs> shitty and shitty. I to get my $30. You're just like Blippy getting shit on. Dude, dude that's just a I funny. gotta go take a Blippy right now. <laughs> <laughs> Took one earlier. Okay. 
Um, that wasn't a blippy. No, that was a bloppy. I told her I was texting. I go. I started lighting matches for myself while I'm shitting. <laughs> I know when I hear the toilet flush like five times within like the first few seconds. <laughs> it's well, we oh, have that. Well, you we know. have a, a a wide deck. I don't know what it's called. The deck of the toilet is very is at a certain angle that should just sit. God damn it! Tell them where to find us. And Instagram and Twitter <laughs> at Who's Your Homicide. We have Facebook. You just search and we're on all the sorry on all the podcast websites instagram i need to post some stuff yep all the fun stuff yeah get you some all right and for honest to goodness stay, stay out, out of, of the, the corn. corn stay out of the blippies oh gosh so gross we're gonna open up a restaurant called blippies Blech.